Grace and peace to you this morning. We want to welcome you here. We are so glad that you're, you're with us here this morning at LaGrange Church of Christ. We've got some wonderful things uh, happening today, some wonderful things coming up. Next Saturday, Dr. Dr. Chuck Webster and Christopher Stevens will be with us to talk about the Bible Jesus used, why the Old Testament still matters. So I hope you'll join us next Saturday at 9 o'clock. You'll be blessed by these lessons. And of course, today we're honoring uh, the Taylors. We're so glad the Taylors are, are with us today, and uh, we consider them to be part of our family. And so I hope that you'll get a chance to, to meet them and greet them after worship, but also come back at 5 o'clock, and we'll be enjoying some time of fellowship, a meal together, and we'll be sending them off. They're, gonna, they're planning on leaving for Japan uh, next month. And so uh, we're in a series of lessons entitled Living Word, a study of the story of God. And some of you have that book, Core 52. You've been following along. You've been reading that book. Uh, we did skip one chapter. We're in chapter 7 this week. We won't get, cover all the lessons of that book. But we'll cover most of them. And we're talking about this idea of kingdom and, and, and kingdom of God. And so as we look at the story of Scripture, it is apparent that things don't always stay the same. Changes happen. And it's important that we pay attention to these changes and that we learn from them. And so in the beginning, God created everything, and it was good. And a few chapters later, Cain is murdering his brother Abel. What happened? Well, sin happened. Sin entered into the world, and the world has never been the same since. And so this is a, a major change. We go from a world where everything is good to a world that's corrupted by sin. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and tells him that he's going to make a, a nation out of his descendants. And Abraham trusts God, and it is so. And this new nation, this new people, is first led by patriarchs, and then led by judges. And this nation is unlike the other nations who are led by kings. But then something happens. Israel gets a, a king and they continue to have kings. And this is a major change. And we shouldn't just skip over it as, as if it is insignificant. Something big happened, and the Bible describes what went on. It's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 9. It says this, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me 
from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and, and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so why did Israel get a king? Well, it was not because God wanted them to have one. Nor was it the best thing for Israel. You know, if you keep reading that chapter, Samuel is going to ex explain to the people all the bad things that go along with having a king. A king is going to tax you. He's going to take your property. He's going to send your sons off to war. And after telling the people all of this, they still want a king. They want to be like the other nations. And guess what? God gives them what they want. He gives them a king. And Samuel is frustrated by all of this, but God tells Samuel that, that Israel is not rejecting him. Israel is not rejecting Samuel, but instead they are rejecting God. God says in verse 7, They have rejected me from being king over them. You see, Israel had a king. It was God. And God had fought for them. And God had protected them. And God had led them. And they didn't need an earthly king. What Israel needed was to trust God. Well, instead, Israel wanted to be just like the other nations. They wanted military protection. They wanted alliances with other nations. They wanted an authority figure to, to stand up and to take charge. They, and they trusted in these things rather than trusting in God. And, and God even says, you know, this isn't a new problem. God told Samuel it was something that dated all the way back to when he had freed them from Egyptian bondage. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God set them free. And as soon as they were free, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to be slaves again. Why? Well, it was because they did not trust God to provide for them in the wilderness. And this isn't an Israel problem. It's a human problem. And Israel had to be reminded over and over again of who their true king is. And so, once Israel gets an earthly king, the prophets begin to play a major role in the life of Israel. And a prophet is someone who speaks for God. They, they speak truth. They, they tell the people what they need to hear, but it's not always what, you know, the people want to hear. And so the prophets, you know, are not very popular. They point out sin, and they called people to change. And one of the things that the prophets did was they reminded people of who is in charge. And so they reminded people that, that kings come and go. And not only that, it's not just kings, it's kingdoms. Kingdoms come and go. And the great empires of the past, they're no longer. Human leaders and human institutions fell us. But there's one who will never fail us. And that is God. And so this is why Isaiah writes something like this. For the Lord is our judge. 
The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he that will save us. God is our rightful king. But in 1 Samuel, God goes along with the people. He lets them have what they want. And we might ask ourselves, you know, why would God do something like this? Why would God give them a king when he knew that it wasn't in their best interest? Well, it's because the people had rejected God. They had turned their backs on him. They wanted a king. They, they wanted to be like the other nations. And so God goes along with it. And in time, they will come to understand that God was right. They will suffer the consequences of their demand. And so the first king that Israel gets is a man named Saul. And he is everything that they wanted. He looks like a king. You know, he's good-looking. He's strong. He comes from a family with money. This is the guy. You know, he is the ideal king. But when he starts to lead, things don't look that great. Because guess what he does? He, he disobeys God. He is selfish. He blames others. He has an anger problem. Saul is not a good leader, and he's not good for Israel. And so eventually, God steps in, and God has Samuel go and anoint someone else as king. He's had enough of Saul. And the next man that Samuel anoints is David. And David becomes the second king of Israel. And David is nothing like Saul. No one thinks of, of David as a king, including his own father. And so Israel goes from a man whom everyone thinks is the perfect king, you know, this is the guy, to a, to a man whom uh, his own father doesn't even believe in him. And this is quite the contrast. But again, God is at work in this. And he's teaching his people a lesson. And in 1 Samuel 16 to verse 7, we find these important words from God. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so we learn here that, that God looks at leaders differently than we do. He doesn't pay attention to their physical features. He doesn't choose a leader because, you know, they may appear strong. He chooses leaders based on what's on the inside. God looks at the heart. And we come to find out that David is a man after God's own heart. He's not the, the leader that people expected. He's not the warrior that people expected. He brings food to his brothers while they're serving as soldiers. He, he tries to put on Saul's armor and it does not fit. David is the last guy that is chosen when pick, picking teams for dodgeball. You know, he's that, he's that player that, that no one wants. And yet God chooses him. And so we have to ask, what's so special about David? 
Well, we know that it wasn't his moral um, character. David had many faults. He was a sinful man. He lusted. He committed adultery. He was involved in a murder plot. And these are not godly characteristics. And so what was it that God saw in David? What made him different from Saul? Well, for one, David knew his place. David understood that he was merely a servant of the one true king, God. For Saul, the focus was on himself. It was all about him and his ego. And he didn't like other people getting too much praise because he wanted it all for himself. And he didn't want to admit his shortcomings. And and if something went wrong, he looked around and he blamed someone else. He refused to take responsibility for his own actions. And he viewed being king as an opportunity to glorify himself. And he wanted the attention. And he wanted the praise. And he did not see himself as a servant of God. The king that mattered to Saul was himself. He was serving himself and he was seeking glory for himself. The difference between David and Saul is who is truly king. Is it God or is it me? Am I laboring in the service of God or am I serving myself and my own self-interests? Both of these individuals are human. They were fallible, sinful men. They each had their faults. The difference is that Saul served himself and David served God. This account from from long ago is more relevant to our lives than we might imagine. You know, we live under much different circumstances. We rejected the idea of kings and a monarchy a long time ago. We're, We're proud of our democracy. We highly value our right to vote If we don't like what our our leaders say or do, then we vote them out. Our leaders have to listen to us. We don't need a king. Or maybe we do. Well, as Americans, we highly value independence and freedom. And we champion people who have fought for these things. They are our heroes. This is why we, we love movies like Braveheart. We get chills when William Wallace yells out freedom before he leads his men into battle. We don't want anyone else to tell us what to do. Now this may be okay when it comes to standing up against tyrannical governments. But as Christians, we need to understand that we are not the king of our castle. That we are under the kingship of God, that we labor in the service of God, that He is our master and we are His servants. Now, someone might be tempted to say, well, you know what? I am no one's servant. Well, if we are unwilling to bow the knee to God, then we shouldn't call ourselves a Christian. Because being a Christian means that we have a king. Being a Christian means that we are not the Lord of our life. 
that God is. Being a Christian means that, that we take orders from God, not the other way around. But too often, we want to come to God only if it's on our terms. You know, we'll follow God as long as He has the same sexual ethics as we do. We'll follow God as long as we don't have to change our lifestyle. We'll follow God as long as, you know, He doesn't ask too much from us. We'll follow God as long as it's just for an hour on Sunday and nothing more. Well, if that's our idea of following God, then we have it all wrong. Because God is our King. And He doesn't conform to our will, we conform to His will. And because He is our King, He may ask us to do something that we don't want to do. He may ask us to do something that is difficult. You know, we don't get to pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we like and which parts we don't. Being a Christian is not about, you know, our comfort. It's about coming under the Lordship of God and becoming the person that we ought to be. And this means there's going to have to be some changes in our lives. That we're going to have to listen to our king. Do what he says. But here's the deal. God is a good king. And so everything that he tells us to do, it's in our best interest. If we try to rule our life, we're going to, to make a mess of it. We're going to destroy it. But if God rules our life, then we will grow into the person that we ought to be and we will live with God for eternity. Well, this idea of kingship is not just found in a few places in the Old Testament. It's found throughout the Bible. It's something that doesn't go away. It's used to speak of the time when, when Jesus returns. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's anointed. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and I want you to listen to what Scripture has to say about that moment when Jesus comes back, that moment that we're all longing for. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, that is Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will bow our knee one way or another. And when Jesus returns... Every person will recognize Jesus for who he truly is. He is the rightful king of every living person. He is the rightful king of all creation. There will be no doubt. And at that moment, everyone will know. The question for us today is whether we will live our lives like Saul or like David? Will we 
set ourselves up as king and only be concerned with our own self-interests and whatever benefits us, or will we recognize Jesus as king over all that we see and live as his loyal servant every moment of every day? Those are two very different ways of living. One way leads to destruction. The other leads to blessing and reward. What will it be? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And we honor you as king. We honor you as king of our lives. We honor you as king over all creation. Father, may we serve you all the days of our lives. May we come under your lordship and listen to you and obey your commands and do what you would have us to do. Father, we ask you to lead us, to take us where we need to go, to direct direct us in the ways that we need to go. We're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for your leadership and guidance that, that you want the very best for us. And Father, we pray that we would be humble servants, that we would joyfully and gladly serve you and obey you all the days of our lives. We're so thankful for Jesus who reveals to us who you truly are, a king that's willing to lay down his life for his servants. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you are not a loyal follower of God, you haven't given your life to Christ, you haven't begun to follow him, we'd encourage you to think about that, to to contemplate your own life and, and what you're doing with your life. If we can help you in any way, if we can encourage you, we would love to do that. If you're here and you need the prayers of of this congregation, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?